my name is Frank, and I am an alcoholic. A very, a very grateful alcoholic, and I'm grateful to be here and be here sober. Uh, basically, uh, I was told that when I came here, I needed to share my experience, strength, and hope. That's how I uh, contribute back to the meetings. And to do that, it was to tell you what it was like and what happened and what it's like today. The only thing is that for me, you're just going to get my story. I've told my story a million times. And uh, the whole thing is that it doesn't change because even at my age anyway, I couldn't remember. So it's good that, you know, that this one here is implanted in my mind. So, but yeah, I, uh, I am, uh, I'm a firm believer I'm a drunk and my most natural state is drunk. You know, I'm an alcoholic. I don't even knew what an alcoholic was when I came here. You know, I didn't come here willing. I didn't come here out of inspiration. You know, I came here because uh, when I came out of the military, you know, I started to, um, to uh, get a bunch of D, uh, DWIs, they called them in them days. And uh, so the courts told me I could either come here or go to jail. So I said, okay. So I would be down at the pool hall with the guys, and I would say, hey, hold my beer, hold my place. I'm going to go down with those drunks and, you know, do my thing, and I'll be right back. And that's the way I, I operated, you know. Then, but later on, as things went on, you know, I started coming here because I, they, when I came out of the service, they gave me a wonderful uh, civil service job. They gave me a brand new hope. This is the government. Beautiful. I love my government. And, and uh, you know, then I met this beautiful lady, and I married, and we started having a family, you know. And so, like everything else, as it progressed, you know, uh, I started having problems with this wonderful lady, and she stopped being so wonderful because of me. You know, this is a family disease, and I'm the first one to tell you that the first people you affect are the ones right around you, the ones you love the most, and uh, they become your worst enemies, you know what I mean? And so anyway, I, uh, I uh, started going to AA to uh, try to save my marriage. And uh, afterwards, as things got bad, my nice job told me, you know, uh, we used to get paid Friday and every, uh, every other week, and every Saturday was Mexican holiday. You know, we never showed up for work. <laughs> so they got to a point where they started telling us, you know, hey, you know, you got a problem. And more talk about denial. I threatened, to, I threatened to get my union person. I threatened to take him to court. I threatened to sue him. You know, how dare they call me? And I didn't even know what an alcoholic was. You know, I know what a drunk was because a lot of people called me a drunk, you know. So the whole thing is that uh, I started doing that. So to get to this point, though, you know, I, I, I come from West Phoenix. You know, I, I come from, uh, I, was, I grew up there when... Uh, Phoenix was ran to 51st Avenue, to Bethany, and to the river bottom. And all the other cities, you know, we had about 50,000 people at the time. And all the other cities had 1,200. I know Gilbert, I think, had about 1,500 people on it. You know, and it was mostly ranch, ranch places and desert. You know, and that's the same thing as the west side, the east side, the north side. It was mostly all desert. South Mountain and stuff still had all those... Uh, uh, fruit trees and everything else on there, but we never went that far. We weren't allowed across the, uh, the river bottom. Those guys didn't like us over there. So, uh, But the whole thing is that I grew up in an alcoholic family, you know, so I, I don't know if this is hereditary or not, and it doesn't matter. I'm here, and I needed help, and 
Finally, you guys were here when I needed you the most. You know, I didn't want you at first. I didn't want anything to do with this. But when I needed it the most, that most important thing I ever did was I kept coming back. Drunk, beat up, out of jail, you know, crying about losing my family. But I always kept coming back. You know, and that's what you guys told me, keep coming back. So as I, as I, as I got older, I started, I remember my first drink. We were with a gang behind the, uh, the projects. And uh, we got this uh, drunk in the corner to get us a case of, uh, of uh, quartz. And we all sat around, built a fire, and we got drunk. And we had our little knockdown and drag outs back there, you know. And I woke up, I drank, but my first drink was a blackout drink. I drank, that was my, my pattern. I drank into a blackout the first time. And I woke up the next morning and I said, you know, what happened? And they started telling me what happened. And you know, I felt good. For the first time I felt good because I know I could not have been that way if I wasn't drinking, if I was sober. Because when you grow up in a violent place, you grow up with a lot of fear. Then that fear turns to anger and then that anger turns to resentment and violence. So when we did that, you know, and I got up, you know, that, that was my pattern. Every time, you, well, we were still young, we couldn't get a hold of booze that often, but every time we did, the majority of the time I drank into a blackout, and the next morning I woke up with the bumps and the bruises and asking somebody to tell me what happened, you know. Uh, that led on till I got into reform school, you know, this drinking led me to reform school, and things were a lot better there because I found out that when I'm locked up, I was able to progress. When I was in reform school, it used to be Fort Grand, Arizona, and Stafford in those days. You know, I was able to go to school. You know, they, they were able to give me school. I, was, I joined the boxing team, so I got to travel with them. I played football. And actually, I was leading almost a, almost a normal life. But then what the thing was, that I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to live that kind of life when I was out on my own. So once I got out, I got back into the, the thing with the guys, you know. And I got back into the same old thing. And, you know, it was not nice. Uh, when I turned 17, they gave me a choice. You know, I was on my way back to reform school till I turned 21. And the judge says, okay, I will give you a chance. You're turning 18 next month. I will let you join the military rather than put you back and lock you up. I said, fantastic. Of course, if I were to realize what boot camp was like, I might have made a different decision. But so anyway, they enrolled me in the Marine Corps for four years. And... Uh, I went to boot camp, and when I got out of boot camp, the Marine Corps encouraged drinking and shaving. I've never shaved before. I went there. Encouraged drinking and shaving, you know, but they never told me that I had to do it responsibly. So it came with the same thing. We started running around, and we started doing the crazy things we were doing. You know, today I realized that God takes care of drunks and fools, and I, at that time I fit in both categories. You know, I put myself in positions that, but for the grace of God, go I shouldn't be here. You know, I'd like to go back and tell you, I lost all four brothers to this disease. I lost my father to this disease. I lost all kinds of other relatives to this disease. It was a family disease, and we were all wrapped up with it, you know. And today it's great because if I wouldn't have seen them in front of me go, I probably would have been right behind them. You know, a lot of them went to prison. I was on my way there at the end, and you'll hear about it a little later. But the thing is that the, the disease affected everybody in my family. 
all my relatives and everything else. I can't think of one of them that didn't have that disease. And uh, the, women, the girls, now the girls were different. You know, the girls were able to find other, other ways of escape besides alcohol. Because alcohol was my way of escaping. Alcohol was my, um, my release, you know, where I can get away and try to hide. But uh, anyway, I, I went into the military, and when I started getting, I did things like, I, I, I bought a car when I was 16 years old, okay? I bought it at 8 o'clock that morning. And at 12 o'clock that morning, or the, and the following day, I had it wrapped around a tree in a blackout, you know? And that's why I tell you, God takes care of drunks and fools, because it wasn't the fact, I didn't even hurt myself. I guess you're real flexible when you're drunk. But the whole thing is that I did almost take out a, a young couple and their daughter, their newborn. And that, it didn't faze me in those days. Like I said, in those days, I knew nothing. I knew nothing better. I was ignorant of the whole situation. So, and then when we were in the military, a bunch of us got together, rented a car. We went over to TJ to party, to Tijuana in Mexico, because uh, the training was in San Diego. And uh, next thing I know, when we're coming back, I'm ha we're hanging over a, a ravine, and the only thing that stopped us from going down was that one of those poles from the, from the guards got stuck under our, our uh, frame in the front. And I looked up and I told those guys, what am I doing driving? And they said, well, you were the only one that was sober. You know, <laughs> another black guy. And that was my life, I'll tell you. It got worse, you know, things got better. What happened was, alcohol took me and whatever alcohol took me, Frank went with him. Because then the military suggested maybe I go where everybody is having violence and they send me to a war zone. Okay, so I did my first tour. And I was over there and over there was, you know, a lot nicer. The, the alcohol was limited, you know, unless we could buy it on the black market. And uh, so, I, you know, things didn't go as bad, but I had my days where we were able to get it. And I, was, I had the same old problems, you know. I stayed there for the first year. God took care of me, you know, but for the grace of God go I. Came home. Within three months, I had a choice. Either go to the brig or go back to this wonderful place I just came from. Well, I didn't want to go to the brig, and I've been there, so I went back for my second tour, you know. And uh, nothing changed. Except that now it was a little more modern. It got Americanized. As more Americans got there, they started having more clubs, and they started having, you know, in the rear areas, they started having clubs, and they started having, uh, you know, we were able to uh, help unload its supplies and, and sort of sneak away two or three cases from the officers, you know, stuff like that. So we were still having the drinking problem. And the drinking problem kept me, you know, I mean, the guys, Thought I was a great guy. I was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. The guys thought I was a great guy when I was sober. And I tried to be, I guess, out of the guilt and remorse. But once I got drunk, Mr. Hyde came out and watch out. So they all got away from me. And uh, so I did the second tour. And I came back. And within three or four months again, they said, well, we can lock you up again or you can go for a third tour. <laughs> That's what I said. That's how bad alcohol had me. Because as soon as I got in and there were no barriers, you know, I was off and gone. We go out at night and the next day, you know, I got 16 stitches over this eye that to this day I never know how I got it. You know? So, 
Things like that, you know, happen. But God took care of me. You know, God takes care of drunks and fools, and I fit in both categories. So anyway, halfway through the third tour, they decided to uh, uh, take send us home because they, I guess, they were getting ready to give it up and everything else. So instead of you know, they, they took the whole uh, uh, first Marine, third Marine Division, and they brought it to Hawaii. So I got to spend the last year of my, of my enlistment in Hawaii. Well, I, what lucky for me is I passed for Samoan. You ever seen them Samoans? <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend was Samoan, and so they, they're a real knit family. So these guys took care of me. You know, I didn't change, but they were able, oh, I'm sorry about that. He told me not to hit this thing. But, you know, I didn't change, but the whole thing is that uh, they took care of me for the last year before I left there. And I came home, and I told you everything was beautiful. I got home, and I got this job, and I got this family, and I got this, I had a new car, and, you know, new house. I had everything a man could want. But I also had an alcohol drinking problem at that time, you know. And I know that when the company started sending me to, we had a program at work. It's called um, EAP. No, no, EAP is what it is now. It was a PAR, Program for Alcoholic Recovery. I started going to that program and I met the guys there. You know, and these guys are hardcore alcoholics like I was, but they were alcoholics now. They were sober. They've been sober for years. And I knew this guy named Gene M, uh, Jim M. And he used to tell me, he says, uh, Frank, he says, you're in for the magic yets. And I didn't know what he was talking about, but he said, see that garbage can out there? And he pointed and showed it to me. And he says, I lived there for 12 years, and that's where you're headed. Of course, I didn't believe him. I mean, I was working and everything else. But he said, the magic yet. If you don't believe what you hear in these rooms, you know, keep on drinking. Alcohol is our best advocate, you know. And sure enough, you know, I, uh, I woke up. Seven years later, that's how long it took me going in and out, going in and out. I had traded the family. I didn't lose it. I traded it in for alcohol, you know. I had traded the job. I had to work for over a year. You know, I had been living in the halfway houses. I had toured two or three halfway houses by then. And I was about ready to trade myself in, you know, because I, couldn't, I finally got sick and tired of being sick and tired, but I couldn't do anything about it. I was scared. By that time, I was, I was a little wet brain, you know. And uh, so, you know, I, 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 I finally woke up uh, January 4th, 1980. And I knew I had gotten out of jail again. And I started checking around, and all the cuts were there, you know. And for the first time in my life, I contemplated suicide. But guess what? This program is fantastic. God is fantastic. The thought came into my mind that I kept hearing in these rooms, Frank, drunks like you and I have to ask for help. And I got down on my knees and I asked whatever was out there because I had no religious training. You know, you don't come from an alcoholic, violent family and they don't go to church. <laughs> so I had no religious training whatsoever. But I asked out of desperation and I had a spiritual experience that day. And since that day, I've not had to take a drink. You know, and I'm very grateful for that, you know, because it had nothing to do with me. I did go to that meeting that night, and I met, and I've been there for years. You know, I go in and out. I, 
God was using me to keep a whole lot of people sober. You know, I kept the, they would see me come in and out and they would see it didn't work. So I, I suffered for them, you know, so I did something. <laughs> but I finally went up there and I met, you know, one individual who I've known a long time before. His name was Garrett. And uh, I don't remember. He, I thought he asked to be my sponsor, but he said I asked him. He was sober. I was drunk. So I'll take his word for it. But he became my sponsor that night. And I told you I was a little wet brain at that. He talked, we talked about the step. He told me the most important thing in my life. He says, Frank, for me, and this is for me also, and this is my opinion, the steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the, hundred, uh, the other 164 pages of the big book uh, for identification and interpretation. You know, and what happened was uh, he... I tried this to read. We, talk, we started talking the steps, the first step, the second step, and the third step. But I, I couldn't read. You know, I tried to read, and I'd read, and I'd forget, and I'd read. Third time, fourth time, I said, the heck with it, you know. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Garrett became my big book for the first six months, uh, eight months, and my mind cleared, you know. But I still didn't know how to do it. And so I, I would make meetings. I was making meetings, two or three meetings a day, seven days a week, because I was desperate. I did not want to drink anymore. But I didn't know how to stay stopped. I didn't know yet about the insanity in the second step. I didn't know about the second half of the first step that my life was unmanageable. You know, all I knew is I didn't know why I would drink. And two or three weeks over there, I would justify it and then say, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm not going to go fight. This time I'm not going to go... And, and uh, get drunk. This time I'm going to drink blackouts. I'm going to have two beers. I'm only going to drink beer because, I, you know, the whiskey brings the Indian out in me. You know, those are all the justifications I used to use, you know. And uh, so I, I finally got desperate because I was approaching six months and I still hadn't really worked the first, second, third step. So I started asking the old timers, you know, how do you do this? How do you get this feeling that you guys have got this happiness? And they said, Frank, we don't ask you to believe anything. He said, fake it till you make it. We say, do it. In the doing, the faith will come. <coughs> so they said, you get up in the morning and you ask for help, whether you believe it or not. You try to get through the day without hurting another human being, and that includes yourself, because I was my worst tormentor. You know, if somebody tormented me the way I torment myself, I would have killed them, and that's what I was doing to myself. I was killing myself softly. You know, you try to get to places where people understand, you know, how hard it is to stay sober one day at a time. And any time a drunk like us can go without a drink, we have something to be grateful for, you know. And that's the way it was. You know, that's the way I started. You know, when my mind cleared up, I saw that the first step talked about alcohol, you know, powerless over alcohol. Well, I learned that out of desperation, you know. Uh, I, I had to go hit my head against the wall many times. I said, no pain there, until I realized that I had a bump about that big out there, you know. But the hard part is you take a drunken horse thief and you sober him up, you still got a horse thief, you know. I hadn't changed anything else but stopped drinking, you know. So I had to learn what caused, you know, the, the, my, the unmanageability of my life. You know, my life was unmanageable. I couldn't see that because I was always trying to, my ego and everything always tried to let me take control or, 
You know, I thought I could do this, do it, and I couldn't. I had to, you know, uh, realize that my life was unmanageable. And we did that through a lot of different, uh, there's a lot of different ways. If you work this program and you work it to the best of your ability, it's going to work, you know. What you use, you know, we all different strokes for different folks or whatever you use, you know, is up to you and God, you know, and whoever, you, whoever you're working with. But the whole idea is that, you know, I, uh, I, him and I worked different techniques, you know. Uh, we worked uh, some of the things that we, you know, writing things down. And, but he was always there. You know, what really helped me out is we related so much. Every time I told him something, he would tell me, and it made me finally feel I was not unique, you know. Oh, it was great. And then we went into the second step, you know. And the whole idea that, you know, that uh, uh, the insanity, they talk about the second step. You ask God to take you to, you know, the insanity was, we were able to, to figure out that the insanity was nothing more than, than, than justification, denial that I had, you know, that I thought that, you know, after all that turmoil I caused myself and everybody around me, that if I tried something different, it would work out different. It did. It got worse, you know. So that's the whole thing is, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I finally got the aspect of the second step. And the third step was a lot harder. Because remember, no religious training whatsoever. How in the heck do you get a guy? I, I had already forgotten that I prayed to this higher power my first day. And I had a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience. I forgot all about it, you know. So I started asking the guys, and I started reading. By that time, I was able to read, and I saw that little spot about the mustard seed. All you got to do is open the door just this much and do it. In the doing comes the rest. Just do it. So I started doing that, what they told me, you know, praying in the morning, trying to get to places, you know, trying to better my life, you know. And uh, things got better. You know, the great thing about this program is that you've got a thing called the uh, promises. The promises have come through before you're even halfway through. You know, a year after I was in this program, I told you, like I said, we had a program for alcoholics. And my, my friend called me and he says, how are you doing? He says, well, I'm trying. I'm working. I've been here this long. He says, show up tomorrow. Show up uh, here at the, at the main office tomorrow. Said, okay. Because I had, I, like I said, I hadn't worked for a year. And I got there, and he had the boss there. And he went to bat for me, and I got my job back, just like that. Talk about the miracles of God. I didn't do anything. I didn't change nothing. But God changed it for me. Those are the promises they start talking about. Six months later, you know, he goes, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, nothing. He says, go put on a tie and come in with the tie tomorrow. I said, what? He said, I'll just do it. So by that time, I was used to listening to the guys who knew what they were doing, you know, because I didn't. I came in with the tie, and I got promoted to supervisor. Now, talk about these steps and the miracle of these steps. The hardest place to work these steps is at home. But when you take them from home, you got to work them outside. If it wouldn't been for that serenity prayer, I wouldn't have made it another six months. Because now I'm trying to supervise people that 
a year and a half ago saw me rumbling around drunk, never coming to work, angry and, and, and violent all the time, you know. And now these promises started coming around and I started working with that. And it helped me because now I knew I had to take up because I didn't want to drink anymore. I knew that I had to do something to find out why I drank. Not the fact that I would do the, the, the insanity of the second step. What caused me to have to deal with people, places, and things with alcohol? You know? So that's when we started the fourth step. You know? And the great part about it, like I said, my sponsor explained things to me very well. He told me that, I, that basically all I had to do in there was realize that I was a normal human being with all the regular desires and everything of a, of a normal human being. But then I abused them all my life and I misused them all my life and they turned into character defects. And those character defects are what caused my shortcomings. It's so simple, yet I never knew anything about it. And I was able to, you know, and then, he, you know, they also told me things that were really great in my mind because they said, we've never seen a person go back to drinking who's taken a thorough fourth and fifth step. And I wanted that, boy. And uh, right around that time, he had me read the preamble of the uh, 12 by 12. And that says that these, uh, uh, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are a group of principles, spiritual in nature, which if practiced as a way of life can expel the obsession to drink and make the suffer usefully and happily whole. And man, that really, that, you know, that big ball I've been carrying around all these years, you know, my whole life, I wanted to get rid of that. So I got into that fourth step, and, you know, and by that time, my sponsor knew, knew me like a book, and I'd been sharing everything with him. And uh, we were able to, I was able to, to, you know, I started with the seven sins and then turned to my worst enemies, my ex-wife, my mother, you know, all those people that you turn into enemies when you get drunk. So anyway, I, I was able to sit down with him, and he was able to relate to me, you know. The great part about doing it for me, now this is my personal preference. I did it with another alcoholic, because when I was going through the halfway houses, I had gone through a, a, a Christian halfway house, and they wanted me to do it with a priest. And so I said, fine, I didn't know any difference. So I went to see the priest, and he wasn't there, he wasn't available. So they put another priest and he knew nothing about the program. So it turned out to be a confession, which made me feel good, but they never told me why. So I lasted about two months with that one. <laughs> that was off and running. So anyway, so that's the beauty of this program. The people I needed, what I needed was always there, you know. And once we got through that fifth step, you know, and I went to do my sixth step, you know, for me that was easy. Because I didn't want to be that person. I was more than great. God already knew me. You know, and I knew that God knew everything he was, he was getting. I said, here I am. You know, this is me. You know me. You know I, I don't want to be this way. So I am offering you to my, myself to you just the way I am. You know. And, uh, you know, so it was beautiful. I, you know, I felt a surrender, you know. I went into the seventh step with no problem. And uh, the eighth step was very easy because they had told me when I made my fourth step, all those people that I put on my fourth step, they said, don't throw them away because those are the people you have to make amends to. 
you know? And sure enough, you know, I mean, you're talking about a blackout drunk. There's a lot of people I don't remember that I had to make amends to. And I had to make amends to those people by changing my ways I treat the human race, changing the way I treat myself. There was a lot of people that were not around anymore, you know? I had to make amends to those people by writing them a letter, going outside at night and talking to them, you know? But I had to make amends. And the nice stuff tells me I made amends to these people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So I couldn't make amends to somebody and jeopardize their safety, their life to, to relieve myself. So a lot of those, you know, I, I didn't, I, I willing, I became, the most important part is I was willing to make amends to everybody. But there's people that were gone already. You know, people I hadn't seen, people I don't know because I was in blackout. My job, you know, all the hours I stole uh, from work because of uh, not being there, you know, or being there drunk. You know, I started giving them, doing them, but I'm becoming, deep. I wanted to prove to them they didn't make a mistake in rehiring me. So I, I you know, then I became a, it's, it's like everything else, a creature of habit. I went from not being responsible to becoming a workaholic. <laughs> so, so as time went on, I had to learn how to back that up too, you know, so it was pretty funny. But I did, you know, I did make my amends as best I could, you know. And I, I, I'm very grateful for this program because what we have now, what we have now is our, uh, what's it called? I call it my maintenance steps. My 10th step is something I continue doing every day. I do it today. If a situation comes up, the only person, when I was new in the program, I walked to the hard hats down there on 3rd Avenue about Van Buren and Monroe 1 and 2. And when you walk in, there's this big mirror there that says, Frank, this is the only person you're going to change. And you look at yourself and your condition that you're in, and it makes you realize a lot of things. I used to walk into the meetings, like the mustard seed and stuff like that, and they have plaques all over the wall. And the one that attracted me the most and tied me down was, Kiss. Keep it simple, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> but that's the way I was. That's where, that's where I was in them days, you know. And today, I, I live my life in gratitude. You know, I continue working that 10 step. I continue taking inventories. You know, if, if I'm wrong, the only person that can change is me. So I have to take a look at what my part in it. You know, I'm not a walking mat. But the same token, I have to see how I respond or how I let it feel you know, or what it did to me, and then I have to change that, you know. Uh, the great part about the 11th step is I learned to pray for people. The first time I prayed for somebody, I prayed that a semi would run him over and break every bone in his body, but not kill him. I didn't want him to die. You know, that's the kind of prayers I came in with. But, you know, I learned that, you know, those people suffer the same way I do. And I know what it is to suffer with my shortcomings. So I've learned to pray for them. You know, this came out great with my ex. My ex and I could not stand in the room for 20 minutes. But then I realized, you know, and another thing I learned, that it's not that important to be right. You know, there's nothing important for me to be right. What, if, what am I going to get out of being right? I'm not going to change anybody's mind. Nobody changes my mind, you know. I work that between me and God, you know. And... Uh, so I was very, you know, with people now and with, we, 
get into to discussions, I stop and think, how important is this? And if not, then I, I got the problem. I'll pray for him. I'll pray for myself, you know, until you got it and let it go. But I did. I have built a great spiritual growth with my God. And I started with a periodical because my, by, that, by the time I told you I was working, my kids were in periodical school. And I, uh, I uh, wanted to learn something about religion to be able to communicate with them. Nothing stuck, but at least I tried. And uh, so, you know, so I read in the, big, in the big book that a lot of the people go back, excuse me, to their churches or to their spiritual uh, people. And there were many other fashions of, you know, we don't have the, um, we don't have the, the thing on, on alcoholism. You know, whatever works for you. If, if religion works for you, if spirituality works for you, if, you know, uh, hypnotism works for you, that's fine. You know, whatever works for you. But from alcoholics like me, you know, that uh, were completely gone, the only thing that worked was this program and you people, and you led me to God, you know. And with, you know, through my spiritual program that I've learned, I've learned that, you know, that uh, God, number one, is not going to give me more than I can handle. Number two is that there's nothing that God and I cannot complete together if I let him. Number three is to let him, I have to let go and let God. You know, I'm not God. I, got, I couldn't even get myself sober. How can I get anybody else sober? What I carry today is a message, you know. I carry the message that if you work this program, it'll work. You know, I carry the message that uh, uh, you don't have to you don't have to be all wrapped up in how you work the program. Just work it, you know. And then came my great the greatest of all. I came my second spiritual awakening through the twelfth step. You know, like everybody else, when I, when I first finished the twelfth step in my early days, you know. I was going to, to, like I said, seven meetings a day, and I, my sponsor got me involved in H&I Hospital and Institution. We'd go to the hospitals. We'd go to the prisons and talk, and that was a great experience. I mean, they were giving, and they kept me sober, but the most important thing that kept me sober is when I walked out of that prison, and I heard that clink, and it was behind me, <laughs> that in front of me. Wow. Those are the great things that, you know, that really got me there. And... The best thing I found out from that 12th step is that the promises that it talked about never having to argue or fight with anybody again if you don't want to. You know, you don't have to engage. I don't engage in a lot of things now. And, but hey, it keeps me happy. It keeps me at peace. I have a very spiritual um, life today. I, very have, I have a very serene life today, you know. I have a beautiful wife, you know, that we've been married 35 years, and I uh, met her with seven years of sobriety, and, uh, you know, it took every step in this program for us to get along, you know, because I came with a lot of baggage. I joked that, I, you know, we met, and I married her three months later, and I did that because I didn't want her to know what I was like. <laughs> but today, you know, we, we both work very hard, and I know she's always got my back, and we both work together. And we formed a very good life. Mm -hmm. Just celebrated 35 years of a beautiful mm -hmm. marriage. So, you know, those are the things that this program has given me. An attitude of gratitude. 
but for the grace of God go I. And it's because of you, because I didn't want to be here. But you guys waited long enough for me to finally get here. And I thank you for that. And the whole thing is, like I know I'm alcoholic. I know that this disease is a disease. And I'm not cured. I just have a daily reprieve. So, you know, that's why I keep coming back. Because I'm not afraid of dying. At my age, you know, I just, I just uh, I'm going to go over three quarters of a century in another couple of weeks. You know, and uh, the whole thing is that uh, I'm not afraid of dying. You know, I'm afraid of is I'll start drinking again. And I'll live another 20 miserable, miserable years where I wish I was dead. So that's why I keep coming back. Thank you for being here and giving me some place to bring my sobriety. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you.